Welcome after a break to our continuation of Srimad Bhagavatam. And today uh, we are beginning uh, Canto 12. Esoteric knowledge, I suppose, <laughs> most of us. Uh, the first chapter is called The Dynasties of Kali Yuga. Uh, here in this uh, uh, book, or the degraded dynasties of Kali Yuga. It says here, uh, this is, uh, uh, or uh, Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur is called it the kings of Kali Yuga. But, uh, and here the dynasties of Kali Yuga, but it's the way it is in the Bhagavatam, although in the, in the, in the Vedabase section it's called the degraded dynasties of Kali Yuga. Uh, the, Canto, the Canto 12 is titled The Age of Deterioration, which, which we are intimately familiar with. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, so we'll we'll start here. Uh, I I should tell you for the for a lot of this, it's one king after another, a lot of names, no purports, and I'm not even going to read the Sanskrit for all of those when we come to that. We'll just go through it until we get to the good stuff, <laughs> the more interesting stuff later on. Uh, if you're familiar with the Bible. If you've ever were raised in a Christian family where you've got to read the Bible together with your family or in a Sunday school, there's a whole sections of the Bible, the Old Testament, which are called the begats. We call them the begats. This person we got, that person, and that person we got, that person, and that person we got, that person. And you had to sit through it all because it was the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and it was a, a desert to get through before you got to something more interesting. So, I don't want to say this is going to be like that, uh, but uh, it's there, you know. And actually, as we'll see right away, this twelfth canto takes off the list of dynasties where the ninth canto picks up where the ninth canto leaves off. So we're already <laughs> going way back to the ninth canto. And then, of course, when they come to Krishna, they oh, pause, and then, <laughs> you know, 10th canto was there, and then the 11th canto, and, you know, now we're going to pick up again. Uh, so, uh, I think there's reasons why people used to remember these things, uh, because everybody knew them, uh, and we don't anymore. But uh, And also, a lot of this... If you know the Mahabharata, if you know the Ramayana, and if these are what you grew up instead of, you know, Duck Dynasty or whatever people are watching <laughs> that TV, you may have known these things anyway. So we're a little culturally deprived right now from uh, from those days. So instead of the Duck Dynasty, we're going to have the Yadu Dynasty and the others. <laughs> So uh, just with that little note of, you know, in the beginning, uh, that we should try to take it seriously, <laughs> you know, and, and pay attention, and we'll try to get through it without uh, doing uh, e either 
offending the audience or offending the Bhagavatam. So first we'll say, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So Srimad Bhagavatam Canto 12 begins. First one and two are together. So I'll, I'll, I'll read this one in, in the Sanskrit. Sri Shukha Uvacha Yomtya Puranjayo Nama Bhavishyo Barahardrataha Tasyamatyastusunako Hatva Swaminam Atmajam Pradyuta Samsnam Rajanam Kartayat Palakasuta Shakya Yupastad Putro Bhavitas Rajakastataha. So those are those two verses. Uh, the translation is uh, Shukadev Goswami said, The last king mentioned in our previous enumeration, which is basically uh, uh, Canto 9, Chapter 22. <laughs> Or 23, I haven't marked here yet, 2022. The last king mentioned in our previous enumeration of the future rulers of the Magadha dynasty was Puranjaya, who will take birth as the descendant of Brihadratha. Puranjana minister Shunaka will assassinate the king and install his own son Prayota on the throne. The son of Prayota will be Palaka, and his son will be Vishakyupa, and his son will be Rajaka. So not only the past, now we're going into the future. This is what happens here. Uh, so what I'm going to do here uh, is... is uh, uh, where we look at the Bhagavatam, before I read the, the, the purport to this, I want to read the uh, introduction to the, the whole uh, chapter. Uh, first, I, uh, we have two introductions. Uh, this is the one from the Bhagavatam, and then I also have Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur, which has a slightly different way of looking at it. So here uh, in the Bhagavatam, the introduction to the to the chapter, first chapter, it says the twelfth canto of Srimad Bhagavatam begins with Srila Shukadeva Goswami predicting the kings of the earth who will appear in the future during the age of Kali. Then he gives a description of the numerous faults of the age, after which the presiding, so this is the whole 12th canto they're talking about now, not just this chapter. Uh, then he, Shukadeva Goswami, gives a description of the numerous faults of the age, after which the presiding goddess of the earth sarcastically berates the foolish members of the kingly order who perpetually try to conquer her. Next, Shukadeva Goswami explains the four varieties of material annihilation. 
And then he gives his final advice to Maharaj Parikshit. Thereafter, King Parikshit is bitten by the snake bird uh, Takshaka and leaves this world. Do remember the Bhagavatam is being narrated to him while he's waiting for that to happen. We are about to die. You know? mm. For those who are about to die, what, is, what are we to do? You know, what's the best thing to do? Uh, thereafter, King Parikshit is bitten by the snake bird, Takshaka, and leaves this world. Sutta Goswami concludes his narration of Srimad Bhagavatam to the sages at Naimisharanya Forest by enumerating the teachers of the various branches of the Vedas and Puranas relating the pious history of Mark and Deya Ishi, glorifying the Supreme Lord in his universal form and in his expansion as the sun god, summarizing the topics discussed in this literature and offering final benedictions and prayers. So that first paragraph is a summary of the, the 12th canto not just this chapter, even though it's written under chapter one. Uh, okay, then it goes to the first chapter. The first chapter of this canto briefly describes the future kings of the dynasty of Magadha and how they became degraded because of the influence of the age of Kali. There were 20 kings who ruled in the family of Puru, in the dynasty of the sun god, counting from Uparichara, Vasu, to Puranjaya. After Puranjaya, the lineage of this dynasty will become corrupted. Following Puranjaya, there will be five kings known as the Pradyotanas, uh, who are then followed by the Shishunagas, the Mauryas, the Shungas, the Kanvas, 30 kings of the Andhra nation, 7 Abiras, 10 Garbadhis, 6 Kankas, 8 Yavanas, 14 Turukshkas, 10 Gurundas, 11 Maulas, 5 Kilakila monarchs and 13 Balikas. After this, different regions will be ruled over at the same time by seven Andhra kings, seven Koshalas, Koshalas, yes, the kings of Vidura and the Nishadas. Then the power of rulership in the countries of Magadha and so forth will fall to kings who are no better than Shudras and Malechas and who are totally absorbed in irreligion. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> that's the summary here. Now, uh, when... Uh, Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur uh, gives his purport to these first two verses with the, here's the same translations here and this has been translated by Banu Swami 
So he begins, Offerings, respects to Guru and Krishna, the ocean of mercy. I take shelter of Shukadev, master of the world, I of the universe. I offer myself and everything I possess to Krishna, who is the life of the gopis and the controller for service to his dear devotees. So then he says, the twelfth canto in thirteen chapters discusses the four types of nirodha or destruction. Yeah, nirodha means destruction, devastation, uh, disturbance even, you know. Amidst this, there are also topics about Krishna. You'll be happy to hear. <laughs> Three chapters that discuss the destruction of Dharma in Kali Yuga. Two chapters describe the conversations between Shukadev and Parikshit. One chapter discusses the Puranas. Three chapters describe Mark and Deya and the movements of the sun. Three chapters conclude the Bhagavata Purana. So these are in order. So this is, this, I find this a little helpful that you got these three uh, kind of summaries of three chapters. Because you add them up, it's 12, so you can see he's moving in order here. In two cantos, the 10th and 11th, he goes on now. Uh, in two cantos, 10th and 11th, the nectar of Krishna's pastimes in the Moon Dynasty has been described. Because there, remember the Kshatriyas are, are, are two lineages called the, the, the Surya Vamsha and the uh, uh, Chandra Vamsha whether they come from the dynasty of the sun and the dynasty of the moon. They start out there and then on earth. So this is the uh, Krishna comes in the dynasty of the moon, whereas Ramachandra is the dynasty of the sun, actually. Nice to be able to trace yourself back to <laughs> interplanetary sort of thing. Anyway, so the two cantos, 10th and 11th, the nectar of Krishna's pastimes in the Moon Dynasty has been described for drowning all people in bliss. Now, in order to produce detachment from all other things and people, the rest of the Moon Dynasty is described. Mm -hmm. So this is quite perceptive. That's why. So first, bliss, and now a little getting detachment from the world just to let you know how horrible things are going to get. <laughs> and you shouldn't, uh, you should be detached. The ninth canto described that in the Puru dynasty, Upari Chara Vasu had a son named Brihadratha. His son was Jarasandha, whose son was Sahadeva. Now, in this dynasty, the son of Sahadeva was named Marjari, and Marjari's son was uh, Shrutashrava. In this way, uh, 20 kings up to Ripunjaya were described. That's really, you come to the, uh, the conclusion of Canto 9, Chapter 22. Uh, uh, the end of the dynasty when the families become mixed, is also described. 
Puranjaya, which is another name for Rapunjaya, was a descendant of Brihadratha. After killing him, Shunaka will install his son uh, Pradyota as king. Pradyota's son was called Palaka uh, because this line arose from Pradyota. Uh, Pradyota, excuse me, Pradyota. It is called the Pradyotana dynasty. So that's his commentary on, uh, on these uh, uh, ver uh, verses uh, here in this one. So if you if you look here, how it's described here, uh, uh, the last king mentioned of the future rulers was Puranjaya, uh, and he tells us this uh, is another name for Ripunjaya. Uh, so this is described here, uh, here in uh, the ninth canto, and you'll see uh, in this ninth canto, chapter twenty, when, when you look at Prabhupada when he translates this, this part of the Bhagavatam, very few purports. It's mostly just relating this. Uh, uh, these different dynasties here. And then... Uh, 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 so anyway, many of these uh, sto stories are in here, but Prabhupada... But this very interesting thing in here in this 9.22, by the way, uh, which I wanted to uh, just let you know. Uh, they describe uh, these... Uh, I'm going to read this a little bit. Uh, so they're describing this Jarasandha and Sahadev's son and his sons, and it goes on, and then it says, uh, the sons, uh, and now I'm reading at 9.22, and this is uh, 12 through 13. And this is Prabhupada's translation here of this ninth canto. The sons of Pratipa were Devapi, Shantanu, and Balika. Devapi left the kingdom of his father and went to the forest, and therefore Shantanu became the king. So, so this is this thing here. This, there, there are three sons, this Devapi, Shantanu, and Balika. So Devapi, who is the oldest son there in order of birth order here, he left the kingdom and went to the forest. He became renounced. And therefore, Shantanu, the second son, became king. Shantanu, who in his previous birth was known as Mahabisha, don't know anything about that, but probably the people who heard this, yeah, knew that story too. Shantanu had the ability to transform anyone from old age to youth simply by touching that person with his hands. You have to remember uh, 
these descriptions uh, are of the previous yugas, you know. You know, Kali Yuga began about 3000 BC, 3112 BC actually. February 18th, I think. But, you know, you can trace it, I really give you the exact date. Kali Yuga began. We don't have any history of Kali Yuga because what we call history began with the advent of writing, which is about the same time dated as when Kali Yuga began. So this is prehistory. Because you remember, Vyasadeva writes down the Vedas because people are going to forget. He's Vyas, he's the editor, he puts them down, he writes them down. People are not going to be able to remember anymore, so writing is the crutch for stupid people. Otherwise, you remembered everything. And if you look at traditional Vedic teaching, pedagogy, it's really based on memory. Because people would remember. Uh, people, uh, if, if, if you, you go to school uh, as a child, uh, starting at the age of five, to learn the first part, uh, uh, pronunciation of the alphabet, and then grammar, it's all reduced into sutras, you know, it's compressed. And you just chant the sutras. At the age of five, you don't can't understand anything, but you can memorize everything, right? So you can you say the sutras, and you just remember the sutras. The, for the whole grammar is produced, you know, pantanjali uh, grammar is all sutras that is condensed. They almost don't make any sense because then you have to learn how to unpack them and know what they mean. But at first you just remember them. And so you're walking around by the age of six with a whole grammar in your head. And then they teach you how to use it. This devotee, uh, Shukavak, once told me that he had a, 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 a teacher in the university who was a traditionally trained Brahmana. He could recite the whole Rig Veda Samhita backwards and full, forward and backwards by memory. They taught him to recite the whole thing forwards and then the whole thing backwards to make sure you didn't make any mistakes. All by memory. It was in his head. So just remember this. The people were, we, we all believe in the, the big myth of the 20th century and 21st century and the 19th century and the 18th the myth of progress. It really began in the in the in the uh, yeah in the in the Renaissance. You know the idea that we're going to advance. We're going to we're going to go higher. We're, we're now we have progress. We have writing. You know, but writing is not a sign of the advancement of civilization. It's the sign of decline. Remember that, and. In Plato, Socrates, his teacher, tells the same thing. 
that the writing is there because people became stupid. And because of writing now, we don't know anything. Because people knew that the Iliad and Odyssey were recited by bards, suttas actually, are bards, who would just remember and say these things. So that, that's, the, that's the legacy. We don't know anymore, because once people start to remember, it disappears. And you, you, you can't keep it up. And that's why writing. So, so the, uh, the Krishna consciousness movement is based on the idea that we are going to recover, to some extent, the, the lost legacy of the human race. Because of Lord Chaitanya is giving us a way to like, uh, in within this Kali Yuga, there's going to be a little pocket of a golden age of Krishna consciousness. Uh, and why we have the Bhagavatam was uh, uh, written down by Vyasadeva to pass it on. And this is a special Kali Yuga because Lord Chaitanya, because Lord Chaitanya comes only once within a day of Brahma there's a cycle of it lasts a thousand yuga cycles it's actually 994 because six of them are take over there's sanjas in between the manus but there's 994 yuga cycles only in one of those does Krishna descend uh, otherwise some other avatar comes but in one of those thousand ages. If Bhagavad Gita once once in every thousand ages, he says this, I come, I descend myself. Krishna comes. Because when Krishna comes, his Vrindavan pastimes are disclosed, and that's highly confidential private life of God, in which his beauty overpowers his majesty. Otherwise, God is majestic. But this is his private life, where he turns down the majesty and his beauty and sweetness is, is, is displayed. In order to access that, you need Lord Chaitanya. So he comes as Lord Chaitanya and then re- reveals his Mundavan pastime. Because you may ask yourself, if this is so confidential and private, how come I know it? There's a famous thing where, where uh, I think it's a Groucho Marx joke, where he, he's asked to join a, a private club, and he's insulted. He says, I wouldn't belong to any club that would have me as a member. <laughs> so why do we... <laughs> if it's so exalted, how come we know it? That's because we are uh, giving the mercy of, of Lord Chaitanya to display this to us. So we are, we are now, by reading this Bhagavatam, by the mercy of Lord Chaitanya, that we are who in these dynasties of the Malachas and the Yavanas, outside of Vedic culture, how can we know this? So if we're, it's because of Lord Chaitanya. So if this is like, you know, seems very difficult for us, it's because we're stupid. And we should appreciate as much as we can. And... If we follow the method given by Lord Chaitanya, we'll be given the brains to understand it. I was standing next to Srila Prabhupada in LaGuardia Airport, and the reporters asked him, why have you come to the West? 
And they're all about four or five of them. They all got little notebooks and pencils in those days, right? And Prabhupada said, and they're writing. He says, "I've come to give you a brain." And their pencils stopped. <laughs> That's why he said, "I've come to give you a brain." And then he explains, you know, that that. Uh, formerly there was head, arms, belly, and legs. Society had head, arms, belly, and legs. But now society is headless. There's no guidance from the Brahmanas. He says, I've come to give you a brain. And then he mentions, which really was interesting to me, in your society, everyone is a Shudra, and there are a few Vaishas. That means... That means we haven't seen real kshatriyas and real brahmanas. We just don't. We have people, you know, you go to a university, there's professors. Are they really brahmanas? How do they live? What do they know? Anything about spiritual knowledge, they can only come to the edge of it. They can't go any further. Because if you're a Brahmana, you have to follow the regular principles. Because knowledge depends upon sattva, goodness. They are not evaluated in the mode of goodness anymore. And most of the universities where they pursue advancement of knowledge, they're being sponsored by corporations. And the corporations are run by a few Vaishas. You may notice that the Vaishas that you find that the ownership of things is not that many, right? <laughs> and everybody else is a Shudra. Actually, if you get a paycheck, you're a Shudra. Because, because a, a Brahmana does not, his modes of livelihood is donations. In an emergency, yeah, you can do a little agriculture. But otherwise, Brahmanas live simply on donations. Prabhupada once described that a Brahmana is someone who can learn anything and teach anything. Not just learn, but teach. Learn and teach. And a Brahmana would go into a, a, a village and it would sit down somewhere and anyone could send their children and would teach them. Whatever they needed to know, could teach them. And he wouldn't ask for money. He said, in this way, India meant free education for everyone. No tuition charge. But the people would think, oh, look at this nice Brahmana, he's teaching our children well, let's do something, let's give him some, you know, cloth, let's give him uh, 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 some, some uh, a cow, you know, yeah, you get something, say, give him back, you know, let's give him something. So they never wanted for anything, he said. Now, what if you did this today and said it's free? Oh, it's free! <laughs> no, you don't think I'm getting something I should give <laughs> We're not... So, you know, we don't know what civilization or culture is in Kali Yuga. 
And you may notice, uh, as we make more and more progress, it's getting worse and worse. If you thought by reading is destroying our memories, what about, you know, Google? <laughs> All knowledge is at our fingertips. What do we know? We only know how to look it up and then forget it immediately. Because I can always look it up again. And suppose all the electricity goes out, there's some little, you know, starburst or something, and a bunch of rays, radiation comes and knocks out all electricity. We're back to being dumb as anything. <laughs> anyway, so do not believe in the myth of progress. That's our big myth. It's been going on, you know, since the Renaissance, the new world. Now we're going to make progress, we're going to develop, we're going to, you know, what we call technology. Prabhupada, all, all technology is shudra. That's what's happening. And, of course, the, the other idea that this advanced civilization, again, we don't know about it because it's prehistory. Uh, uh, we, we can't find it. Archaeology, they don't know what they've got. A few things here and there. They don't know what it is. And if you would, if you would think of, if you would think of what is a perfectly balanced archaeological culture, how much junk would be left behind? Not much. Right? Not much. In, in, in India to this day, the traditional building in, 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 in Bengal is mud bricks. You take mud and, 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 and you combine it with some straw and you dry it and that's how you make your house, mud houses. They even have huge temples made of mud. It lasts a long time. As long as you keep the water off and the rats away, it lasts for a very long time. Of course, centuries, it'll disappear. But you won't see because it's made of mud. What? Where's the remnant? Where's, where's the archaeological remains? You won't see it. If everything is very simple, everything is recycled, everything is, you know, you don't want to leave any garbage anywhere, like if you go camping, when you leave camp campsite, there's, nobody should know you were there, right? Where's the Where's the past? And they didn't write anything down because they all had memories and you could pass it on from one generation. Anyway, I just want to tell you, we are victims of the myth of progress. So here we have a little bit with our clumsy books and even clumsier... Tablets and <laughs> computers and iBooks and so on. Anyway, so uh, here we have uh, these uh, kinds of uh, uh, stories of these, uh, and now they also tell the future because you could also see the future. How this, you know, corresponds with what we have left of historical memory, I have no idea. Uh, but. Uh, I can uh, say this. 
So this is the kind of stuff we have in the ninth cant canto. Uh, uh, the story about this uh, Maharaj Shantanu, who went to the forest, and then he requested his elder brother to take charge of the kingdom, that's this Devapi, for it is the duty of the king to maintain his subjects. Previously, however, Shantanu's minister, Ashvaraya, had instigated some brahmanas to induce Devapi to transgress the injunctions of the Vedas and thus make himself unfit for the post of a ruler. Uh, so this is like a kind of unheard of thing where you have a, uh, a brahmana uh, ministers uh, misleading a king. The Brahmanas deviated Devapi from the path of Vedic principles, and therefore when asked by Shantanu, he did not agree to accept the post of the ruler. Instead, he blasphemed, on the contrary, he blasphemed the Vedic principles and therefore became fallen. Under the circumstances, Shantanu again became the king, and, and Indra, being pleased, showered rain. Uh, Devapi later took to the path of mystic yoga uh, uh, to control his mind and senses and went to the village named Kalapagram where he is still living. And it says that actually when this age ends, somewhere else, I can't remember where it was, when this Kali Yuga ends and the next Satya Yuga begins, this same Devapi will be the one who starts <laughs> who uh, becomes the king. <laughs> That's what it says. Oh yeah, here it is. Right here is the next one. Ah, I'm sorry. Yes, next verse. After the dynasty of the moon god comes to an end in this age of Kali, Devapi, in the beginning of the next Satya Yuga, will reestablish the Soma dynasty in this world. Yeah, it's very next verse. See, I can't even remember when I read it. Uh, from Balika, the brother of Shana, uh, Shantu, the next one, uh, Shantanu, came a son named Somadate who had three sames named Buri, Burishrava, and Shala from Shantanu to the womb of his wife named Ganga came Bhishma, the exalted, self-realized devotee, a learning scholar. Now we know about Bhishma, we hear about him. Bhishma Dev was the foremost of all warriors when he defeated Lord Parashurama in a fight. Lord Parashurama was very satisfied with him. Uh, by the semen of Shantanu in the womb of Satyavati, the daughter of a fisherman, uh, Chitrangada took birth. So then we miss the stuff with the stories we know from the Mahabharata and other places about Bhishma Dev and uh, uh, grandfather Bhishma Dev of the Pandus and, and so on. So this history is uh, there. Uh, then it goes on. Uh, so this uh, Chitrangada took birth. Chitrangada, of whom Vichitravirya was the younger brother, was killed by a Gandharva who was also named Chitrangada. 
Sachivati, before her marriage to Shantanu, gave birth to the master authority of the Vedas, Vyasadeva, known as Krishna Dvaipayana, who was begotten by Parasharamuni from Vyas I, that is Shukadeva Goswami, was born, and from him I studied this great work of literature, Srimad Bhagavatam. So that's the kind of stuff that's buried under all these, uh, these recountings of things. So these people, these are their ancestors, and they know them. You know? Uh, one of our devotees in Philadelphia came from a uh, big Italian family in Philadelphia. He could name so many relatives and so <laughs> many, you know, you know. Today we don't even know, you know, who our great-grandparents are, but those, you know, they know... So in olden times, people really under, knew these things. They had a sense of belonging to families and stuff like that. Um, the incarnation of Godhead, Veda Vyas, rejecting his disciples headed by Pila, instructed the Srimad Bhagavatam to me because I was free from all material desires. After Ambika and Ambalika, the two daughters of uh, Kashiraj, and this is in the Mahabharata, were taken away by force. Pachuchavirya married them, but because he was too attached to these two wives, he had a heart attack and died of tuberculosis. The word that's translated here is tuberculosis. The Sanskrit dictionary is a wasting disease. So I guess that's one wasting disease. Uh, uh, and so then it goes on and, and describes these, these kinds of things uh, 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 and then talks about Pandu and all these things are, are going on uh, and then goes up to, My dear King Parikshit, your father, Abhimanyu, was born from the womb of Subhadra and the son of Arjuna. Uh, from him, by the womb of Uttara, the daughter of Viradraja, uh, Viradraja, Viradraja, you were born. Uh, after the Kuru dynasty was annihilated in the battle of Kurukshetra, you were also about to be destroyed by the Brahmastra atomic weapon released by the son of Dronacharya. By the mercy of the Supreme Personality Godhead Krishna, you were saved from death. Where he appeared before him in the womb and he saw him uh, prenatally breaking up this Brahmastra. Um, then he says, My dear king, your four sons, Janamajaya, Shrutasena, Bhimasena, and Ugrasena, are very powerful. Ugrasena, like these names, you know, he, he whose armies are very ferocious. Ugrasena, you know. <laughs> anyway. Janamanjaya uh, is the eldest because of your death by the Takshaka snake. Your son Janamanjaya will be very angry and will perform a sacrifice to kill all the snakes in the world. 
And then he, you know, goes on to describe what Jonam and Jaya will do. So now we go into the future. This is where we start in the future. This is what's going to happen. He's saying this. After conquering throughout the world and after accepting Torah, the son of Kalasha, as his priest, Janamajaya will perform Ashramada Yajnas, for which he will be known as Turangamerashat. The son of Janamajaya, known as uh, Shatanika, will learn from Yajnavalkya the three Vedas and the art of performing ritualistic ceremonies. He will also learn the military arts from Kripacharya and the transcendental science from the sage Shonaka. Uh, and then it gives more who is going to happen uh, and we're into the the uh, future uh, and then there's uh, more lists of names just like this is uh, and then it goes up to this, uh, 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 and then it ends uh, here. The Canto Nine, Chapter Twenty. If you're really interested, you can read it yourself. <laughs> you know. Then it ends. Uh, the final verse from uh, Shubala will come Sunita from Sunita Satchajit from Satchajit Vishvajit from Vishvajit. Ripunjaya, and that's where we pick up again. Uh, all of these personalities will belong to the dynasty of Brihadrath, which will rule the world for one thousand years. So that's the uh, that's where this uh, uh, picks up. Uh, well, of course, it goes on with more dynasties and more names, also. But anyway. Uh, this this is why we it, it picks up here now in this uh, uh, this first chapter of that they mention him here uh, in, in uh, this way and uh, so we'll stop. <laughs> So, uh, as I said, if we, if we go through a lot of lists of names, I probably won't even bother to read, you know. Uh, there's very few purports, as when Prabhupada did it, there were very few purports. But uh, we, will, we will get uh, go through that part because it's there. And because, I mean, here's Maharaj Prichon, we have so many days to, to live, and he's telling him all this stuff, so it's there. Okay, any questions or comments? <laughs> what do we do here? We have, uh, want to give, uh, what are the instructions? People can call in. So if you have a question on Maya4TV, go ahead and type in your question on the online chat box to the right of the screen, and we'll read them aloud. Um, if you're on the phone, press star six, and that will unmute yourself, and you can ask a question that way. If you're in the live studio audience, you can just ask a question. So, um, it was mentioned the sort of some of these fantastical stories mm -hmm. in history, right? And, mm -hmm. and, and, and evidence 
lacking and so forth of that currently, right? or some. So I, I was thinking, I know of the pramanas, you know, pratyaksha is like considered the least... Um, direct perception. Yeah, yeah, direct perception is considered the least uh, um, convincing or yeah. powerful, whatever, right? On the other hand, um, it seems that... So I understand it, 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 it can be very difficult to establish truths merely based upon sensual yeah. perception. Right? Um, on the other hand, we hear these stories and it seems like there at least should be some physical evidence for these yeah. things. So my question is, Is it? do you think it's worth it for us to try to do that, to try to track that down? Yeah, I th- I th- here, here, here's, here's what I think Prabhupada's legacy that he left us to do. He did this very far out thing. Uh, but by the way, uh, the Shastra is produced by Pratyaksha. It's called Vaidusha Pratyaksha, mm-hmm. the direct perception of the wise, of those who know. Because Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita about what he's teaching, Pratyaksha avagamam dharmyam, you'll know this by your direct perception. Whatever I'm saying, you'll know. But you need the correct perception. You need to know how to know. So, one of the things that, that Prabhupada <laughs> wanted in Mayapur, remember Mayapur during Lord Chaitanya's time <coughs> was a great center of learning. It was really quite preeminent, mostly because of Sarvabhama Bhattacharya, by the way. He's the one that was there and established it. And then became the minister for the king of Orissa. But, but he, it, was, it was a huge center of learning. And, and, and Prabhupada, some of the things that he wanted done that were not done when he left was the temple of the Vedic planetarium. And in the dome of the temple of the Vedic planetarium, he wanted uh, a model of the universe as described in the Bhagavatam, the fifth canto. There's a whole description of the universe. He wanted it, a, a moving model of that universe, hanging, and then uh, we are going to have in the inside of the dome, you know, people can go up and see it and, and explain the different things that are happening in the different parts of the universe. If you look at that tenth candle description of even this world, I mean, Prabhupada really flipped out devotees when he said, we haven't gone to the moon. We haven't even gone to earth. <laughs> you know, it describes a different world that, than we are accustomed to seeing. Now, I, I myself am convinced that it's true, but that we haven't been to the earth because we can't see it. Uh, because The, the world that is described, the universe that described in the fifth canto, is actually the body of Brahma. He's the soul of the universe. Krishna is actually technically the super soul of the universe and Brahma is the soul of the universe. That means the universe is his body. That means he's aware of the universe in the same way that we are aware of our, our bodies, probably better. 
So the university is the universe is a cosmic organism. It's a living being. There, there are 33 crores of demigods, 330 million devas. I regard the devas as the nervous system of this cosmic body. How do the devas operate? They all have natural yoga cities. When Prabhupada talked about the yoga cities, you know, what people call a miracle, he says miracle just means you don't know how it's done. They're not miracles. They know how to do things. They are, they're born with yoga cities. When Indra moves the clouds around or whatever, how does he do it? He does not he get does I mean, you depict him riding on elephants and pushing them around, or maybe but that's not how he does it. He's wired into the weather. The devas are the nervous system. The devas, the bo- devas have bodies, but their bodies are all made of manas. So you can't always see them. You can't perceive, but that's how they control things, and they all have mis. That's a different universe than we have access to right now, because we're dumb. And by mental speculation. You know, like like Einstein, you know, he could get so far. And then he was asked what he believes. Well, he believes in the goddess Spinoza. That means some kind of idea that the universe is divine. Because philosophers have gotten that far. The cosmic organism, uh, Spinoza, other people. Uh, you know, there, there are all kinds of different ways of pantheism or panentheism. You know, God includes the world but transcends it. There's one way of saying panentheism. Uh, there are different theories like that. And generally, when, when, when thinkers think to the edge, they get some intuition like that. Uh, that there's something really bigger, that there's something more than just matter, that when you get so far, you start to get paradoxes and things don't work out anymore according to our common sense. Yeah. But they don't know how to go any further. Because, uh, because material science only deals with the universe insofar as it can be expressed in terms of numbers. That means it can't deal with consciousness. But consciousness, you know, it's not just a... How do you express consciousness in terms of numbers? They can't account for it. It's an anomaly. And yet, you know, you can't know anything without being a consciousness. And people are beginning to discover, you know, what is it like to be an octopus? You know, that they have significance for themselves. That's what consciousness is. It's the big anomaly. They're learning so much, you can do so many things with numbers, but consciousness, experience, the ability to undergo experience, to have significance for yourself, is not something that you can express in terms of numbers. That, and, and so that's, that's the big thing that people are starting to worry about and think about. Because, because the, the, the story we want to tell ourselves 
is, you know, in the beginning, they're just like very, very simple structures of matter. But these structures of matter can be completely explained in terms of numbers. And for some reason, we don't know why, those structures of matter over time become more complex. So you have very simple structures of matter, say subatomic particles or what, and then they form atoms, and the atoms get together, and they form, you know, molecules, and the molecule, then there's carbon atoms and the more complicated structures of matter, and this is what happens, these more structures of matters get more and more complex. And then, at a certain point, they get more complicated and something else pops into view, which is not just another structure of matter, but the experience of structures of matter. And that, everything breaks down. And people, I, I studied with philosophers who denied there was such a thing as consciousness. The ghost and the machine, they called it. There's just the machine. And just get rid of the ghost, we can describe everything, you know, and leave it out. Because that's where it goes. It's an anomaly. And they can't, they can't quite deal with it. And they can't put together consciousness and matter. But... Our process is one that sees everything as integrated. They're both two different energies of Krishna. And basically, what, what, what I learned from Prabhupada is that everything is actually spirit. There's just different kinds of spirit, as he told me. <laughs> different kinds of spirit. To see that way, one has to become pure. So. In Krishna consciousness, we have regulative principles. We don't eat meat, fish, or eggs. We don't take intoxicants. We don't take, engage in illicit sex. We don't gamble, engage in speculative enterprises, right? Sounds to people like, oh, moral principles. We have that, you know, our little place for moral principles. You can be a very smart scientist and so on, and not have any morals, just so long as you're not drunk when you go to work. You know, it doesn't mess up your head for doing science. You can just do it on the weekend or whatever. But otherwise, you can be as big of a, 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 a nasty guy as you want to be. You can plagiarize so long as you don't get caught. You know, I mean, there's no... You, you, it doesn't matter what your life is like on, on these matters. Uh, you could be a, be, a, be a wise guy. But th these principles are principles of knowledge. They're, so first of all, we need to have the right, what they call in philosophy, epistemology. How does knowledge take place? What is knowledge? And this is what the Brahmanas, I have come to give you a brain, Prabhupada. You know, the, the brain is you have to have be in the mode of at least goodness and then go on from there to Vishuddha Sattva. And then you can start to see things the right way, hear things in the right way, uh, and you can then become connected with the, not just the soul, but the super soul, 
And then when the connection between the soul and the super soul is there, then you begin to understand more things. That's the future. That Prabhupada wanted. I've come to give you a brain. Uh, it's principles of knowledge. That's why when Prabhupada went to MIT, he had, he, early on, he was invited to speak at MIT. I think it was just some professors and graduate students. And, you know, that time Prabhupada was part of the counterculture. Eh, let's see what this is about. He said, he said, why do, you've had so many departments of study why, uh, in your te- institute. Why don't you have a department for the study of the soul? <laughs> what? <laughs> why, what's it got to do with it? But Prabhupada understood, you know, this is knowledge. This is actually knowledge. And it doesn't, uh, as far as Krishna Khan, it doesn't leave the world aside. We can take special cases of dealing with the world in terms of numbers, but ultimately, you know, we have to have uh, this, this science has to become transcendent to, to include spirit as well as matter. And this is our, you know, Chincha Veda Veda Tattva. This is what the Vaishnava Charyas have done. And so, the knowledge of, of God is not a matter of just, I mean, it's, yeah, it's faith, but you know, all processes of knowledge begin in faith. When you go into a, a classroom and you never met the guy before, the professor or the teacher, and you sit down and they tell you, you write down everything they say, you believe it. Why? Because you have faith. Yeah, the people tell you, this is the teacher. You have faith. They know. I mean, faith can be misplaced, just like knowledge can err, but, you know, uh, these, this you require something. The, your first guru is your mother. You have no choice. <laughs> you have to believe. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so so the, this is uh, the, the mother is the Adi Guru, you know. Uh, so this this is this is this is our process, and I'm I'm so that's why Prabhupada wanted a center of learning at Mayapur. He wanted to take the Bhagavatam and show the world as, as it is, and he also wanted a a a, a graduate research institute in Mayapur. He sent me personally, called me in, sent me to see about having such an institute affiliated with the University of Calcutta. And he wanted our our research library to be all the works from the four Vaishnava Sampradayas. He wanted that to be in Mayapur too. I think it goes together with that, that universe. People can come and look at it and then we will could do research work in this uh, place in Mayapur, the center of learning, where Lord Chaitanya was born and raised to be a teacher. That was his profession. He was a brahmana, and he was a teacher. And he gave something that was not just in Mayapur, but would go all over the world. So I'm convinced about it myself. I, I, you know, maybe not advanced, but advanced enough to know there's really something big there, really, really big. And we need we need to further this research uh, because all the rest of the stuff is going to get really, us really messed up.
as you may have noticed, apparently all, our, our bodies are now full of plastic. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> what are you going to do about that? <laughs> okay. Some questions. Yeah, okay, there's more questions. I'm sorry. Um, what happens as you get old, you become garrulous. You <laughs> rant on and on and on. <laughs> Krishna Chaitanya asks, um, he says, Have any devotees ever tried to correlate the list of kings with known history? Would this not end, would, would this not lend credibility to the predictions? Sure, somebody should do that. Uh, I don't. I don't know that anybody's yet tried to do it, or to understand it, or to know how it comes about. But I'm sure that's one area for our university, the future, to deal with this. I mean, re really, you know, we have we have the, the Srimad Bhagavatam. Uh, we also should look and compare that with the other Puranas, at least the ones that are in the mode of goodness, and see what they say. We haven't done that yet. That should be part of our research. Uh, we should also deal with the, the astronomical schools and what they say. We have to access the whole of this, uh, uh, of the many-branched uh, uh, culture that comes from the Vedas and, and, and master it. And that would be one of the jobs, itihasa, history. Mm -hmm. Vijay Krishna Prabhu asks, uh, why is it that nowadays technology is not considered advancement of civilization? How can technology harm human society? It already has. Uh, it, 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 it's, you know, when I, I was a kid, we had the latest technology. I remember it was, was you could grow crops because you could spray them with DDT. <laughs> And this little, well, I used to, uh, one time I lived in Texas next to a cotton field, and the plane would come down and spray the <laughs> cotton, and we used to stand underneath oh, it, geez. and, you know, feel it drifting down on top of us. Hey, progress! <laughs> so, you know, that, that, yeah, that did some good things, and it also did some other things. So we are solving the problems. The problems we have now are the problems caused by technology. And I do not think that all the problems of technology can be solved by more technology. Our technology is going to have to become a spiritual technology too. We have to learn how to live uh, basically to understand that there, there are rules of nature that, that we, should, we should follow. And people are working on that, but they're, right now they're still thought to be weird. Because nobody can figure out how to monetize. If you have energy production and food production as local as possible, that basically screws big business. The few Vaishyas that are in control. Uh, Dr. Carl asks, concerning brahmanas and donations, is it ethical for 21st century devotees who want to develop brahminical qualities to receive unemployment benefits over a long period of time, without cheating, of course? Can that money be considered a donation? Yes. No, Prabhupada was asked this in a letter. One devotee wrote him a letter. A friend of mine wrote him a letter and said, uh, is, is it okay for devotees to receive welfare? 
And Prabhupada said, yes, just don't lie. He said, it's the duties of the kshatriyas to support the brahmanas. <laughs> Kshatriya means government. <laughs> so it's perfectly, it's not only ethical, it's, it's what should be happening. The brahmanas should be supported by the government. Yeah. And Vijay Krishnapuru asked, he said, why do they compare the four yugas to the four seasons? Because, uh, uh, well, it's, I, I don't know where that comparison comes from, because in India there's six seasons. <laughs> uh, but but a, a generally spring is, is really nice, summer is not so nice, autumn is not so nice, and winter is really bad, you know, something like that. But it rotates like the seasons, and I, I think that's the, there's a regular rotation of the seasons, so there's a regular rotation. So it's just the fact of rotation, not necessarily this one's better and that one's, you know. Because it, even if there's six seasons, it's a rotation. Whatever it is, it comes around again, right? You know, there's the rainy season, there's the misty season in India. They, all these different, six, I think. Um, just I, I, I just remembered uh, this thing. So Prabhupada mentions how um, I think it's in the Pranas. Maybe it's Bhagavatam. I can't remember where these giant eagles. The Shneya eagles, yeah. Yeah, Shneya, they take yeah. well the ones that take the elephants and drop yeah. them on the mountains, right? <laughs> and they fly through the planets. Too. Yeah, they fly. Yeah, it's, it's crazy, far out stories, right? But. Um, uh, you know, a, a friend, a devotee friend of mine was mentioning how um, she was watching a documentary about Mount Kilimanjaro and that they discovered all these elephant bones on the top of the mountain. <laughs> and they, it totally mystified them. Yeah, like, why yeah. are there elephant bones on the top of Mount Kilimanjaro? And the whole thing of the documentary was basically left it as this mystery that's completely, they can't figure it out. They have no idea. So, so. And there's lots of other stories. You know, Sada Puda oh, would always yeah. have tons oh, yeah. of these sorts of um, kind of, you know, these unexplained phenomenon, physical phenomenon that, you know, people just, just mystifies them. Though we could say, well, you know, <laughs> point to the Bhagavad Gita and say, well, you know, we may be able to speak to this. Um, uh, and that's something I was always interested in. Maybe the, 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 the uh, what, what was it called? The Bhaktivedanta, what was the... Um, Bhaktivedanta Institute? Yeah, Bhaktivedanta Institute. It, so, and Prabhupada really liked that. Is, is this the kind of work that, yeah, that, that, can be that done. was meant to... Anomalies are really important. There's this famous book, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions. I've forgotten the name flew out of my head. Thomas Kuhn. Thomas Kuhn, yeah. 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 And that, was, that book just came out when I was a graduate student in philosophy. I'm not a graduate, undergraduate in philosophy uh, at, at the university, which was very into, like, philosophy of science. And they hated that book because it seemed to them like... Because he said, no, science... The idea we're taught science just progresses in knowledge. And actually, it's, it's a... a, a uh, they're what he calls revolutions, where one... He called a paradigm shift. This is where paradigm shift comes from, from Thomas Kuhn. You know, the whole... You live in a different world... You know, there's the phlogiston theory of electricity, and then, you know, somebody came up with electro, you know, a whole different way of... And so he said, in, 
it, 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 there's a, a, a scientific theory of what's going on. It works pretty much for something, and then you discover an anomaly. The theory can't explain it. And then it goes into a crisis, and you have a breakdown of the theory and a whole other theory of the world. You know, it moves in these irrational leaps. And he talks about how when you, there you have these things he calls paradigm shifts, uh, uh, you know, how, how, how it's like an act of faith in the beginning. It explains some things, but you don't know everything. So, so these, these are, are the things that happen like this. They're these, these paradigm shifts, even in science. So if you, if you, and he says, you know, you, well, you, you have a theory that pretty well works. You, some things it doesn't explain, you put it in the anomaly closet. And then you put something else in the end. And then finally the closet's bulging and you can't ignore it anymore, you know? But as long as it works, you keep it, and that's your idea of how the world works. The, if you start gathering anomalies, which Bhaktivedanta would do, there's a lot of them, including elephant bones on the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. Uh, there's so many anomalies. And, and, and when you start to look at it, you get like totally bewildered what's really going on. I mean, we've collected a, a lot of them. And there's the things that we don't even, you know. I mean, you, you, when, when you try to construct the history of the world, archaeo, archaeo, history of the world archaeologically, how many square feet of earth out there? And how many of you dug, dug up? What's an advanced civilization? And what's your standard even of advancement? You know, I mean, South America it, it is another place where people are, minds are being blown like crazy because they seem to have been, because, because you know, Oh yeah, here's the Amazon and the jungle and it was all primitive. But from looking at it, you can look like the Amazon was really a garden. It was co cultivated by people who really knew what to do where one plant is next to another. There were co irrigation controls. There was uh, fertilization of the soil. It wasn't a jungle at all. And I'm saying, you know, if you have a really advanced civilization, what's going to be left? And their technology was making rope bridges. They still use some of them. They would last for so long, but most of them are gone now. They go, you know, walk up. Anyway, what is your standard of advancement? And if you start looking, you're going to find so many anomalies, but nobody wants to see it because basically you discover that we don't know anything. That a whole idea of the history of the world is selective. And, you know, but these are people we call savages. But the savages were savvy. <laughs> <laughs> So, as devotees, how should we properly view technology? In one sense, we can see that it's 
not progress at all. In other sense, we can see Yukta Vairagya, we use what we have in Krishna's service. So how do we kind of combine those two? Well, you 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 don't. You know, I I mean, I I don't. Prabhupada's idea was you use everything in Krishna's service, and, and I suspect now for the time being we're going to use it. I mean, we're talking people all around the world because of one day we'll be able to do it without technology. Maybe, maybe <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We have to become more advanced and. Uh, they say appropriate technology. So I, I don't I don't know how these things will be integrated. I mean, b- because Prabhupada didn't hesitate, in, in spite of being a sort of anti-modern in many ways and not a, but using technology. I mean, you, you, you. He did print books. He, he, you know, when, when tape recording came, he used tape recordings. That's you know, we, he, some of it he didn't like so much. When 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 Prabhupada was asked, uh, maybe if we put uh, if we put uh, um, fax machines or telex machines, excuse me, telex machines in the temples, then that we could communicate with each other more and associate together. And Prabhupada said, no, it'll only increase pajalpa, that is nonsense talk. Well, you know, what's Facebook now? <laughs> you can't trust it anymore, right? Fake news, the Russian troll farms, and, you know, there's a lot of trolls. It turns out almost 99% of the population may be trolls. <laughs> Some of them consciously so, so and others are unconscious <laughs> trolls. <laughs> you know, so this, that's the downside. So we have to we have to, to 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 be very careful with this. But but whatever we can engage in Krishna service, we're we're doing it. Uh, and uh, and uh, that's you just have to take it as it comes. Uh, is you have to, is it favorable to Krishna consciousness or unfavorable? And things right now that we are using that are favorable, we may find out later. We okay, we can do without. We, we don't need it. We'll see. But I can't think of any general principle that, that we can use to say, you know... I mean, Prabhupada went by boat, and then when airplanes are available, he went by airplanes. He claimed, he remarked when flying over the Alps that he saw Mount Meru, I haven't seen Mount Meru flying over the Alps, but but then again, <laughs> I can't see everything. So, as I think, if if we increase our own level of purity, also we'll get directions from Krishna. Remember, uh, the the idea of the soul and the super soul are very intimately related. Because the super soul is the self of the self. That means knowing the super soul is something like knowing yourself. It's not a super self, but still, it's the self of the self. It's self knowledge. That's why when one begins to get some uh, realization of the super soul, uh, you can you, you can't doubt it. 
You can't doubt the existence of the super soul anymore. You can doubt your own existence. And that you have certitude, conf absolute confidence, because you know, nobody can tell you, do you know the super soul is there? But that same super soul is, is common property of all living beings. So now you got an entrance anyway. We'll see what happens. <laughs> we have to make advance. But we, for the for the advancement of ourselves and for the advancement of society, we have guidance from Krishna once you become ready to receive it. It's not only the best thing we can do for ourselves as individuals, it's the best thing we can do for the human race. And in fact, for all other living beings on this planet, we're under distress <laughs> quite a bit. Now we have to we have to come to that platform of receiving that guidance and direction. And Prabhupada was quite open about that when the reporters asked him, "How do you know what to do when you're guiding the Krishna consciousness movement?" He said, "Krishna tells me." And the GBC standing next to him, when he looked at the reporters, this was in Chicago, looking like, whoa, <laughs> writing stuff down, you know. Oh, no, no, he means that he gets inspired. No, Prabhupada said, Krishna tells me. He stopped him. No. But it's, and Prabhupada's instructions to his disciples were, you become just like me. He said that once. I am one person... And the, he, this Shamasunda reported in this newsletter that Prabhupada said, I am one person and see what I have done. Now we are 500, I think the number of his initiated disciples. So if each of you become just like me, imagine what can be accomplished. So he didn't say you can't do it. We just want to linger around for a while and catch a few more episodes <laughs> or something. <laughs> then I'll do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I guess we should stop now. Okay. So we'll see you next week. I'll try not to be quite so garrulous. <laughs> <laughs> Got to do something. This hard part. Shri Prabhupada ki jai, Shri Mad Bhagavatam ki jai.